You're with Julian on the brown note. That was Mavis Staples and Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age. Also quite a recognisable voice, and that's from RTJ4. Recent Run the Jewels album. Second movie, uh, both these films have got less than glowing reviews from the critics. Uh, both recent releases, I think this was also an August... Yeah, August 7 uh, was the, the main release of this one. I think he got a cinema release as well. Welcome, uh, sorry, Waiting for the Barbarians. Now, this is a big ticket film. It's uh, J.M. Coetzee. I hope I'm saying that right. The South African writer is one of the world's most fated. He's got a Nobel Prize. So he's a big name. And he's been a resident of, I think, South Australia since the early 2000s. He sort of moved around between uh, South Africa, went to London for a while, ended up not getting citizenship in America after he uh, participated in anti-Vietnam protests, went back to South Africa and has written extensively about these themes from his homeland. But he's been in, uh, been in Australia for a long time now. And the other reason it's a big-ticket film, not just because it's from his 1983 novel Waiting for the Barbarians, and he's listed as writing the screenplay. Ciro Guerrera is the director. Now, one of my top films of the last decade was Embrace of the Serpent, an astonishing black and white heart of darkness journey up the Amazon. And it was, I thought, a masterpiece and um, possibly off the top of my head might have been the first Colombian film, he's a Colombian director, to be nominated for Best Foreign Language Oscar. Don't know for sure, but I think it might be. I think there's only been a couple. And um, so this is a big deal because it's his first English language film featuring one of the biggest writers in the English language alive. Um, so it's a big deal, and he's got a big cast to go along with it. Uh, the setup is sort of Kafka-esque. Um, it's sort of like a, a place that has no name that's supposed to embody uh, an outpost in colonial times uh the exact time isn't relevant the exact place isn't re relevant it's sort of like a frontier place you get the impression somewhere in the middle east some empire like france or somewhere has got gone to its very outer reaches and has got this citadel in the middle of the desert and mark rylance is the magistrate of the citadel he's running things for the empire and everything is going fine He's got a very sort of benevolent view of the locals. Uh, many of the locals in the Citadel have, which is like a big castle, have um, sort of become slightly more in tune with development than the, the nomads that roam on the outskirts of this endless vista that goes on from the Citadel. And one day, with everything going fine, and him being a very self-serious but very sort of, uh, he knows the local language, he has good relationships with the locals. Uh, one day Johnny Depp turns up as this um, police chief from the Empire and he's a horror show. He turns up and basically he's roaming around the edges of the kingdom looking for signs of trouble and immediately he's this very austere and very malevolent feeling guy um, and his whole thing is um, how do you know that these nomads on the outskirts aren't looking to overthrow us this is the the outer rim of the empire 
and we could be under attack from these hordes of barbarians, which, of course, Mark Ryland's character just is, is laughing at because it's just such a ludicrous concept. Unfortunately, Johnny Depp is the self-fulfilling prophecy. He basically rounds up people, and in order to find out if there is a, a resurgence or some kind of insurgency on the cards, tortures people to death until they tell him there is which of course they do. So he comes to report back to the empire that indeed there are these marauding barbarians waiting to overthrow their empire. Um, and Mark Rylance is just appalled by this. He actually literally tortures people to death to get this obviously crap information that anyone would tell you in their last throes would tell you anything that you wanted to hear. And life kind of goes back to normal he meets up with um, a girl, who, an adult woman, who's um, been severely injured by the questioning of Johnny Depp's character. Both her ankles are broken. Her dad's been killed. Um, and she's begging in the town. And he takes her on in a very heavy-handed metaphor. And he nurses her back to health, uh, which is uh, it's been accused of being very heavy-handed in its um, anti-colonial views and anti-colonial metaphors and allegories and and that is probably the as soon as Johnny Depp leaves she becomes the metaphor for him trying to heal the wounds that Johnny Depp's character um has has put on the people and they have a very sort of odd relationship because it's probably the strongest part of the film she ends up um, confiding to another person she's crying all the time and he thinks that it's because of the injuries that Johnny Depp's character has done to her um, and it ultimately comes out that he, she's crying all the time because of him and I could only read from that it's because he doesn't treat her like a human being he's serious all the time and he kind of treats her like this thing uh, and I thought that was both the most heavy handed and the strongest metaphor in the film was these benevolent forces treating local populations like they're a thing to be babysat and to be mollycoddled and not treating them in the same way as as a normal human being she's shown to be a lot happier with people that don't really care about her and actually talk to her like a normal human being um, but anyway he ends up taking her back to the desert um, she wants to go back she's had enough of being around all these people and she wants to go back to her own nomads out in the middle of the desert so he leads a troop out for a week or so get lost in a sandstorm and uh, meets up with these tribe people and they're very very upset at him and basically say you're lucky we're not killing you uh, and that's obviously as a result of Johnny Depp's behavior he then returns to base minus the woman and with his soldiers to find out the whole citadel has been taken over by the empire and their soldiers and Robert Pattinson uh, so now we have Robert Pattinson and Johnny Depp, both really horrific, malevolent embodiments of the worst kind of empire. And they take over the town and imprison him for his dereliction of duty and for conspiring with the enemy because he's been out to talk to these nomads. And it all goes to hell in a handbasket from there. Obviously, they have self-created this war with the nomads that they're going to have whether anyone likes it or not. Uh, and they've got plenty of people to torture and back up what they're saying, that they're about to be under attack. Uh, and the last sort of, not so much the second half, but the last third of the film is 
everything falling to pieces. Now, I think this is a much better film than it's being given, 56%, I think, on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it's Because it's got such a high mind anyway, for a start, the director... Uh, what's his name? Ciro Guerra. He frames every shot stunningly. It's got this real sort of um, French Foreign Legion feel to it. The desert's framed beautifully, but so is the Citadel, and it's very artistically shot. The cinematography is beautiful. Um, every frame is beautiful, almost to the point where you're sort of giving him a clap but at the same time going, yeah, okay, you're very, very good at framing shots. And the cinematography on Embrace of the Serpent was magnificent as well. Um, it looks incredible, and the atmosphere is very incredible. Mark Rylance is stunning in the lead role, very human, yet curiously he's also inhuman in that there's no humour or life to him. Uh, the other people may be horrific. Johnny Depp and Robert Pattinson might be horrific people. Um, but he's also his own kind of horror because he doesn't really engage. He, he treats them like butterflies he's collecting. He doesn't really engage. He's never shown to be laughing. And he does stand up for them in the end to his detriment horribly. This is, is not an easy watch, this film. Um, I thought it was a lot better than it's been getting credit for, but I understand that dramatically it's not com that compelling. I thought once things really started to go to hell, um, after a very slow opening two-thirds, I thought it became a lot more riveting, uh, and I wasn't quite sure how it was going to play out. Obviously, Coetzee is a genius, and he's responsible for the screenplay, so you can't discount that. Um, I saw a film called The Counselor, which had another very famous author as a screenplay writer, and same thing is it did lack transferring onto the screen some humanity. Um, it was a bit stagey and a little bit forced and a, a, a tad self-serious and not very wide-ranging in human emotions, and I'd say that about this film as well. Um, doesn't quite... Was that Thomas Pynchon? I don't think it was Thomas Pynchon. I can't remember. Cormac McCarthy did The Counselor. That was his first screenplay. And similar here, they, it, it, not everyone sort of engages like a human being. It's a little bit more sort of um, theatre and heightened and flat as well. Not just heightened, but quite flat in everyone's emotions and, it, and the way that people deal with each other. So it could be quite boring, and it is very heavy-handed in its uh, reflection of the negative impacts of empire on local populations. But in a, in a year where there haven't been really many awards-worthy films, and I've been scraping around to say what my favourite films of the year are, maybe something like The Invisible Man, to be honest, um, I think this deserves a lot more credit. I mean, at the worst, it would be a 7 out of 10, surely. Just from how beautiful it is, the performances are very, very strong. Uh, Robert Pattinson isn't used enough. He sort of comes in too late in the day, but he's there's an air of there's an edge of real horror to him. Um, and Johnny Depp, uh, a bit showy perhaps, but he's also quite scary. Um, and Mark Rylance is brilliant in the lead role, and it just looks magnificent. And the themes are probably quite timely anyway. So I think this film's well worth, if you want a very serious, unenjoyable, but good film, um, it's worth a lot more than it's been given credit for. So I'm going to give Waiting for the Barbarians 
I, I think a seven and a half out of ten. I just don't agree that because it's so heavy-handed. I mean, the heavy-handed themes for a start. For me, it was the fact that it lacked a little bit of life, and the first two thirds were a little bit dead. Um, I thought that more than how how heavily it hit you over the head with how you know big man bad sort of thing. And I thought the um, I didn't fully expect everything that was going to happen either. I haven't read the novel. Um, so I didn't find it obvious in the path it took and it certainly was punishing uh, especially Mark Rylance's character who was has a brilliant complex man it was a complicated character and I really liked that bit when he was told that it was him that was making the woman cry and all I can think of is the fact that he wasn't treating her like a human being he was treating her like a butterfly that he'd added to his collection and I thought those moments stood out and made it a bit more complex than just being this anvil landing on your head of, of uh, colonialism being awful. So I did like it. It is flawed, um, but it's not flawed because anyone's clunky. It's not flawed because I thought there was superfluous scenes. I just thought it was a little bit on the flat side and maybe in its evocation of the horrors of colonialism a little bit obvious. But 7 out of 10 for Waiting for the Barbarians. From the feature album, and this track's featured in a few movies, definitely in uh, A Place Beyond.